welcome everyone uh, to today's training and taking the time again out of your schedule to show interest in this topic. I feel incredibly honored to be a presenter for the training series, uh, AAPI Phases of Treatment for DMH and UCLA's Public Mental Health Partnership. This is the third topic of the training series with today's training covering culturally and trauma-informed care uh, and approaches. So as a result of today's training, uh, you'll be able to identify specific examples of how trauma has impacted AAPI communities differently throughout history. Furthermore, recognizing the impact of trauma on AAPI communities, including long-term mental, uh, physical, and behavioral adverse consequences. Lastly, you'll be able to describe at least two culturally informed approaches to utilize when working with AAPIs, whether you identify yourself as an AAPI or you come from a different ethnic background. In terms of agenda and things to expect for today's training, we'll start off by covering the diversity of the AAPI label followed by defining trauma and racial trauma, and begin to look at how AAPIs respond to trauma and how symptoms distress look like. Ending with ways to tailor treatment, treatment to provide a culturally and trauma-informed approach. Concluding with a discussion on what you can take away from today's training in order to be culturally humble. So you may wonder what led me to choose a career path in mental health field. Um, and before sharing what led me specifically to be where I'm at today and to work with uh, the AAPI population, I'd like to share a little bit more about myself and my background. I am a first-generation first-generation Asian American, more specifically Cambodian American born out of all places in Ohio. My parents are survivors of the Cambodian genocide, which for those who are unaware, it was a systematic persecution and killing of Cambodians by the Khmer Rouge regime, which was under the leadership of the Communist Party of Cambodia. And sadly, over the span of four years, uh, the Khmer Rouge killed approximately 1.7 million people, which is about 20% of the population. Uh, through labor, starvation, and torture. My parents, unfortunately, lost several family members, but fortunately, we were blessed enough to be sponsored uh, and migrated to, to live in Ohio. At a very young age, my mom separated from my dad and we moved to California. You can imagine that the weather was so much better than what it was in Ohio. However, life was incredibly hard for my mom. Despite how hard it was, she worked effortlessly to provide for me and my siblings. She expected me and my brothers to earn good grades and wished that at least one of us would become a doctor so we wouldn't have to struggle as much as she did. My mom spoke very limited English and also didn't speak much about her traumatic experience. She would tell me, honey, it's a past. I don't want to talk about it. I know now she was just protecting me from her pain. Fast forward, I did not become a doctor, 
but did earn a master's degree in psychology, completed my internship at, crisis, at a crisis youth shelter in Los Alamitos, California. Following my internship, I was given an opportunity to work directly with the Cambodian population to provide quality mental health services and really focused on increasing access to care, removing barriers to uh, utilization of mental health services. So you may ask, why am I sharing all this information with you? I, I share this information because what I did not know as I was determining my career path and um, was how much my cultural history and background shaped who I am today and the work that I love so much doing, which is evident because I've been uh, in the nonprofit sector working for Pacific Asian Counseling Services for almost a decade now. Uh, when I first started, my Cambodian was very broken. Um, my colleagues can attest that my, Cambodians have my Cambodian has improved immensely. So in reflecting on the last poll question, I'd like to encourage you to look deeper into factors that influenced or played a large role in leading you to choose to do the work that you're providing today. Next, we will be covering the AAPI umbrella. AAPI stands for Asian American and Pacific Islander. It represents over 50 distinct ethnic groups. And to just go back a little bit, you might also see the acronyms AANPI, which is basically Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific, Island, Pacific Islanders. So the ethnic groups, again, 50 distinct ethnic groups. However, please note that there are also groups within each group. So for example, is composed of a total of 56 different ethnic subgroups, different, uh, different countries. So as a API comes from different countries, race, and over 100 different languages. There's diversity within each ethnic group, and given the tremendous diversity within the AAPI community, it is not surprising that ethnic groups vary immensely in terms of English proficiency, history, socioeconomic, and education status. As you can see from the word cloud, it AAPIs include all regions in the Far East, Southeast Asia, and Pacific Islands. At this moment, I'd like to encourage you to bring up any stereotypes that you may have about Asians and kindly take note that those stereotypes exist. Perhaps you believe that Asians are the model minority group or you yourself had to grow up facing the challenges of living up to the label of being a model minority. Simply put, the model minority is a myth for a reason. And as we review the slides moving forward, I hope that becomes more evident. In looking at the specific diversity in the following areas, as mentioned, uh, over a hundred different languages with variations in level of English proficiency among AAPIs, both colonial and migration patterns based on different histories, 
and reasons for immigration. With Chinese Americans being the first to migrate in 1850s for work and Southeast Asians immigrating as refugees due to the aftermath of war. Cultural practices and spiritual traditions are unique with many having an emphasis on mind, body, spirit connection, and also loving kindness. So just quickly, um, so for Pacific Islanders and Native Hawaiians, uh, practices with deep connection to land and spirit. When I was uh, going over this presentation with my eight-year-old son, he had asked me, mom, what do you mean uh, in terms of connection to land and spirits? And I described it to him as what he saw in the movie Moana with her calling to the ocean and having a strong connection to her ancestors, her strong belief in um, spirit and um, the value of land. Across many different cultures, there's also classical and folk dances with uh, some of the dances illustrating storytelling and uh, narratives and blessing ceremonies across different uh, cultures as well with different celebrations, whether it's um, a milestone in life, marriages to bring good luck, uh, with the Cambodian community, there's a Cambodian uh, water blessing ceremony to, to eliminate past karma. Asian Americans also have the largest income gap of any racial group in the country. The average uh, Indian American household making up to 100,000 um, per year to the Burmese household making about 40,000. Again, not all Indian Americans will make that much and Burmese will not make that much. Those are just the average numbers based on the U.S. Census. Thus, generalizing that all Asian Americans are crazy rich, uh, quote unquote, is not accurate. Shared in the chat, my family and I celebrate the three-day Oban in order to remember our loved ones who are diseased. Uh, this is a Japanese tradition. Thanks for sharing that. Shared during Lunar New Year, my family ex exchanged red envelopes or lucky money, specifically lucky money, uh, Hong Bao, specifically if my family and the married individuals give to the younger ones. Thank you for sharing that. And going back to the diversity of Asian Americans, uh, in terms of education status, there are several studies supporting the staggering differences in academic achievements within the different groups of, a, of Asian Americans. Religious beliefs also vary from Christianity, Buddhism, Hindu, to Muslim, and also Based on the religious beliefs, it will influence the cultural practices and spiritual traditions of a specific uh, culture. So the big question really is, why is it so important that we consider culture when we're working with our clients? As I shared earlier about my personal background and experiences having a large influence in my career choice, culture is a 
part of people's lives. Influences how we see ourselves in their world, our views, values, belief systems, and even how we understand health and healing. It also influences our purpose in life. In our line of work, seeking to understand the culture of our clients, including taboos, values, and spiritual practices, helps to build rapport and see our clients' world through their very own lens. Doing this results in increased understanding of our clients. By gaining a perspective of our clients' culture, we can help guide our clients to lead to find meaning and recover from past traumas. And to go back to the next or to the previous slide, we had shared at New Year, there's a Filipino tradition of having 13 round fruit to have a prosperous New Year and having noodles on birthday for a long life. I love noodles. Um, thank you so much for sharing that uh, Filipino tradition. So just in our audience today, uh, there's three different um, cultural traditions that were shared. Japanese tradition, uh, Chinese tradition, and then Filipino tradition. Moving forward, uh, to elaborate further regarding the importance of culture, let's examine the role that culture has, specifically as it relates to psychotherapy. Culture defines symptoms of distress. So for example, Cambodian believes that Cambodians believe that the startle response or being hypervigilant is a sign of a weak heart versus seeing it as a symptom of PTSD. And many AAPIs think that illnesses are caused by disharmony of emotions or evil spirits. Culture also influences greatly how symptoms are viewed. Symptoms may not necessarily be seen as mental health problems. Thus, when we're working with clients, it's good to explore and be extremely careful not to use the word mental illness because it has such a negative connotation. So what I mean by this is when you meet your clients and you're gaining an understanding of what brings them to services, they might mention, you know, I, I find myself thinking too much for no reason, worrying about multiple things, having a hard time sleeping. These are the words and the languages we want to use when communicating with our clients to say, oh, I get it. Oh, you're having a really hard time sleeping. And um, thinking too much seems to be a really big problem. Uh, and in doing this versus using mental illness as a term to communicate with our clients, it can also help to have our clients buy into the therapeutic relationship. Additionally, in many traditional Asian cultures, men um, are oftentimes seen as the decision makers, and they're expected to be emotionally resilient and stoic in, in the face of adversity. This in turn influences the expression, the expression of psychological distress, 
which at times can be seen as somatic expression of mental, mental distress or denial. Uh, culture also guides help seeking and the response to treatment. If a culture sees mental distress as highly stigmatized, they're likely to, individuals are likely to deny nor acknowledge symptoms and not seek treatment because seeking treatment, especially therapy, can bring shame to one's family. This is a really, um, really full slide of a lot of information. So I wanna take, a, take, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask the audience to share your experiences in working with your clients from the AAPI background in terms of specifically what their view of symptoms are and, and how they define symptoms. And you can do this by sharing the chat box. So what I'll do is I'll just continue on with the slide and if anything pops through the chat, I will go back to the chat box. Uh, cultural factors also influence how folks describe and feel about their symptoms, which in turn affects whether an individual seeks mental health therapy, medical treatment, and influence who they turn to for help, such as local or spiritual leaders. We have shared in the chat box, she has a Filipino client who still struggles with accepting her symptoms and says her increased anxiety is just her worries and that she needs to pray her worries away. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, experience that you have with your client and helping us to understand her belief system. Shared some of my Japanese adult clients did not want to call their symptoms, quote unquote symptoms, but they just simply stated they were stressed out, quote unquote. Now shared, most of my clients express themselves as body pain or somatic pain. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, feeling stressed out. I, I'm noticing a lot of tension in my body um, and not finding a, a medical cause for it sometimes. So definitely uh, mental health symptoms can manifest as physical somatic symptoms. Also added uh, body pain, somatic pain, or shortness of breath. Thank you for uh, sharing your experience and working with your clients. Culture also provides specific modes of coping with distress. Since religion provides a sense of meaning and purpose uh, for AAPIs who identify with a specific religion, religion is used as a means of coping when faced with adversity and can help one make sense of and accept pain and suffering. Ensuring with about her Filipina client, she said she's gonna pray away, you know, pray so that the worries can go away. Also based on culture, folks may choose to seek medical treatment or look at other ways of healing, such as prayer, meditating, chanting, 
even some home remedies or indigenous healing with plants and herbs. Culture can also have an influence on what is perceived as stress and how they attribute stress to themselves or make meaning as to the causes of stress. Also influences how one responds. And in many Asian cultures, there's value placed on remaining calm. Thus, when someone expresses anger or strong emotions, it's frowned upon. It's frowned upon and can lead one to suppress emotions, which is seen to be health, healthy in one's culture. I know from a lot of research, it can be detrimental to one's overall mental health. On our next slide, um, we will be discussing the complexity of a culturally informed approach. To, so far, what we've discussed are um, ways that culture influences how one responds, and uh, AAPIs have been grouped into uh, the label of AAPI umbrella. However, when we're looking at how to provide a culturally informed approach, there's so many different factors that we need to also consider. It, um, for example, in terms of the intersections, in order to fully develop a full understanding, we must develop an understanding of individuals in context. So one of the key challenges of a culturally informed approach involves the number of different factors to consider and questions to ask. A culturally informed approach will consider intersectional relationships with race and ethnicity, such as gender, sexual orientation, among others. As providers, learning to navigate self-awareness of our own culture, history, and implicit biases can help us to better understand our clients' needs. It is simply wrong to assume that just because one identifies with a particular ethnic group or if one identifies with an aspect of another ethnic group, that they are all the same. Rather than operating from the assumption that clients need specific treatment because they come from a different culture, look at it might be good to look at the role that culture plays in supporting individuals, healing and resilience. And um, there's two other messages that came through the chat box regarding culture. I shared that some of my clients think that their um, symptoms are the result from their previous lives. Most of my Asian clients will accept that they have depression and anxiety but does not have insight if they have bipolar or psychosis. Thank you both for sharing those insights. And going back to complexity of a culturally informed approach, most, um, for example, um, as we look at looking at culture to see how it supports one healing and resilience, most AAPIs place high value on the family unit, but that may not be true for all, just based on acculturation and family experiences with gender identity or sexual orientation. 
Just as value is placed on staying quiet in the face of adversity, that may not be true for all AAPIs based on level of acculturation, assimilation, and evolving culture that they grew up in. Um, individuals basically have different life experiences and narratives, and we'll be looking at that closer on the next slide. Looking at the intergenerational impacts of historical trauma from World War II and the involuntary evacuation of Japanese Americans into incarceration camps. And the role of cultural values in shaping incarceration resilience. First generation Japanese Americans uh, refers to those born in Japan who might who immigrated to the US. And when they were uh, when they were forced into incarceration camps, research indicated that they had long-term adverse mental and physical health consequences. As a result, um, many, many had suffered from losing financial losses. But in terms of the cultural values of uh, the Japanese culture, they really stressed uh, interpersonal harmony and avoiding conflict and acceptance of things as they are, making the best out of negative situations and circumstances, um, a strong commitment to family. And this was evident when um, they were in the incarceration camps where they provided a nurturing environment for their their children who were also in the camps with them by providing schooling, continuing education, sports, uh, music, and other recreational activities just to make it as normal as possible for uh, their children. Second generation uh, Japanese Americans who were born in the United States responded with silence to the injustice. And really what they did was demonstrated a strong push towards achievement that was fueled by the need to move forward. A Japanese uh, sense of giri, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, which means obligation to clear the family's name of insult and shame. As for the third generation who were born after the war, who did not suffer directly from the uh, experience of the incarceration camps, their initial feelings that they had was confusion and curiosity about their parents' silence to feelings of anger about the injustice, not fully understanding why there was such minimal resistance. Um, in specific focus group studies into adulthood, for third generation Japanese Americans, they began to understand reasons behind their parents' minimal resistance to being incarcerated. And despite suffering or despite having negative intergenerational impacts, they were able to find inspiration to fulfill their parents' dreams, meaning they entered careers their parents were not able to pursue because of um, the interruption that they experience. And many um, of whom 
pursued degrees in law to address future injustices. In the study and the focus group, they also found that as third generation Japanese Americans gained awareness of the incarceration trauma, they started to voice their anger and encourage also the second generation to also speak up, break the silence within their communities so that they can seek redress. On our next slide, we will be looking at the historical and cultural influences of AAPI. Um, as we've discussed, AAPI's, the AAPI umbrella encompasses a large range of uh, different ethnic groups. And for the sake of this training, we won't be able to cover all, all of the 50 distinct ethnic groups, but I wanted to highlight just a few to show and demonstrate the diversity and variabilities in the different ethnic groups and cultures. So um, firstly, because firstly, uh, the wards uh, in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And um, before going into the war, I, I'd like to kind of go back a little bit and going to the original poll question, no one answered that they went into the mental health field to be a historian. So fortunately, as therapists, we have the luxury of not having to know everything and um, we're not expected to know everything about a client's culture or a client's background. Um, the great thing is we can learn so much information from our clients. And it's also good to build upon our cultural knowledge of different cultures. And we can do our own learning by watching documentaries. On, um, and nowadays we have Google search where we can quickly search for things on Google to um, gain a better understanding of our clients, their experiences. And when working with our clients, we have that knowledge and we can ask them specifically, you know, was this something that you, um, that you experience? Um, were you involved in the Cambodian genocide? Uh, were you impacted by World War II? So for a lot of, for um, the Southeast Asians, Laotian, Cambodia, and Vietnam, um, many immigrated to the U.S. following the aftermath of war. As we discussed in the previous slide, Japanese Americans and World War II, including the intergenerational impacts of um, the trauma as discussed in the previous slide. For Filipinx Americans, as well as Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, um, trauma of colonial, colonialism um, and the history of trauma from colonized, colonization of islands. And for our next slide, I'll give a more specific detail in terms of Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders and their specific trauma. This is a quote from Dr. Joseph Kahulukula. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, so I apologize. 
but he was the first in his immediate family to earn a college degree and um, go on to receive a PhD in psychology. He, and he wrote a book and this was in his book. Through my personal and clinical experiences, I've come to learn that the return to traditional Hawaiian values, beliefs, and practices is vital in repairing the damage that American colonialism um, and exploitation have done to our aina, which means land, and our lahu, the Hawaiian race, once an industrious and healthy people. We contemporary Hawaiians have the poorest health and social status when compared to our ancestors. I won't even try to read that. And the other ethnic groups that reside in our ancestral homeland of Hawaii. So again, uh, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders are a very diverse group of people with subgroups, different languages within the um, subgroups, different customs, acculturation statuses. And this really highlights that the cultural genocide um, brought upon due to coloniz colonization um, and the impact it has on Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, whether they directly experienced it or if they were second or third generation. Uh, several studies have also looked at the disproportionate rates of behavioral health problems observed among Native Hawaiians that directly link problems to issues of cultural loss and conflict, acculturation stressors, stigma, and oppression. So as we've learned in the previous slides, the history of our clients provide, provides us with so much rich information about their trauma histories by examining the impact of intergenerational trauma, war, and colonial colonialism. And as we look at the word cloud of trauma, pay attention to the words that pop up for you in relation to the brief historical history that we just covered. Of key importance, I like to highlight that trauma does not have to be a life or death, death uh, situation. It is defined as an experience that or it is defined as an event that is experienced as harmful and has long-term adverse consequences including mental physical and behavioral health problems to determine whether our clients actually experience a traumatic event we must learn to ask questions to better understand our clients experiences some common examples of trauma experienced for um, AAPIs or minority groups that we may overlook when we're accessing for trauma history are racism, living in an unsafe neighborhood, being homeless, and involvement in the criminal justice system. Just as important as looking at history of or the the historical trauma history, it's just as important for us to also be aware of present trauma and its impact. On this slide, there is a 
graph showing the increase of anti-Asian racism. And since the start of the COVID pandemic back in 20, wow, 2019, because it's going into two years, um, there has been a dramatic increase of anti-Asian racism placing AAPIs more at risk to develop mental health symptoms. Because for many AAPIs, they've experienced other trauma histories. This can lead to re-triggering of PTSD symptoms and or even exacerbate current depressive symptoms. And based on a survey conducted in April by Pew Research Center, one third of Asian Americans feared someone might threaten or physically attack them. So to recap, based on the definition of trauma, racial discrimination, racial discrimination is a form of trauma. AAPIs who ex also experience discrimination based on other factors, such as gender identity and sexuality, are more likely to be impacted by its trauma. And as a result, have uh, long-term adverse effects on their mental, physical, and behavioral health. On our next slide, um, we will be doing a case vignette to hopefully uh, summarize some of the things that we've discussed so far. And this, um, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read the case vignette. And then on um, for the next activity, we'll um, engage in a little conversation about the vignette. So Mr. Chan is a 57-year-old who was referred by his PCP, physical health provider, to seek mental health services due to thinking a lot, difficulty sleeping, and a recent history of emergency room visits in the past year. He divorced his wife at 35 years old, and since then, he has not had a relationship with his three children and do not know about their whereabouts. He reports having his roommate as support. Upon assessing for mental health symptoms, Mr. Chan responds that he is fine and things have not changed, quote unquote. He reported having a quote unquote weak heart, occasional nightmares, frequent dizziness, difficulty breathing, but denied having a mental illness. He shared that he is focusing on how to make ends meet and manage his stress that is linked to physical health conditions and inadequate finances. He believes that he may have diabetes. Questions. What are Mr. Chan's distress responses? What do you think his diagnosis might be? And any cultural considerations that might be important to consider. So there's a fairly um, small group. If you'd like to send in your answers through the chat box, feel free to do so. You also have the um, ability to unmute yourself and share um, your feedback and your opinion. 
to thank you for sharing. It looks like you said possible diagnosis could be generalized anxiety disorder. And then due to lack of knowledge of mental health, client does not know for sure about the symptoms. Another, because of the stigma, client does not feel comfortable to discuss about mental symptoms. Thank you for sharing. Difficulty sleeping as a distress response. PTSD with possible further assessment of trauma history. Most of his symptoms are physical in nature. From what was described, his diagnosis may be anxiety disorder, maybe even PTSD, and frequent visits to the ER room as a distress response. Focus on what he is willing to address to avoid shame too quickly. Um, focus on what he is willing to address. Absolutely, I think we covered this in terms of um, you know, the, the client mentioning that he doesn't think he has a mental illness. So what is it that he um, has shared in terms of his concerns to avoid um, shame? Our GAD, or PTSD upon further exploration of life journey and stressors. MDD possibly. Great, thank you everyone um, for sharing your feedback into um, in the chat box. And um, absolutely in terms of the vignette, there's very limited information that we have. And uh, for many who have mentioned ongoing exploration of other stressors, life journey, um, past history of trauma can really provide us with additional information. Okay, so some of the distress response um, of our AAPI clients might be in the form of somatic complaints, dizziness, um, for example, headaches, uh, chronic pain seems to be a prevalent um, somatic complaint as well. Uh, feeling very tired, feeling fatigue, headaches, stomach aches, body aches, um, having poor concentration, feeling feelings of anger. And to note that the distress episodes are triggered by different stressors such as worry, um, negative emotions, stress. And we'll be going over this in, in uh, greater detail on the next slide. What's important to notice is recognizing that stigma and shame prevent the direct expression of psychological problems. And mental health issues can manifest in physical symptoms as illustrated in the case and yet and um, also illustrated in, in the case vignette is uh, seeking medical attention before mental health care. And within the program that I've worked on for the past year, many of our referrals come from our uh, medical health provider because they're able to screen for mental health symptoms and refer clients over 
um, for Native mental health services because of um, symptoms related to mental health that um, they're not yet aware of. So on this slide, it really illustrates the triggers of the distress response. And as we discussed, the worry uh, interpersonal conflict, having conflict with family members and um, even spouse can uh, be triggers of distress response. Negative emotions such as anxiety, depression, fear, anger, uh, unpleasant emotions are classified under negative emotions. Panic type um, symptoms such as hyperventilation, chest breathing due to nightmares or traumatic intrusive memories. Motion sickness can also trigger the distress response because it's, it could be very similar to um, feelings that one felt during a previous traumatic event or experience. Bereavement type, um, bereavement type can also be a trigger to the distress response. Agoraphobia, hypervigilant serving of mind and body for evidence of a syndrome. Um, in the case with the case vignette with Mr. Chan, he thinks that he has an undiagnosed chronic health condition um, and possibly diabetes. In this slide, um, it shows the multiplex model of trauma-related disorder and key aspects of trauma um, is the occurrence of distress episodes. So initially these episodes are triggers, triggered in various ways as we discussed in the previous slide, such as worry, negative emotion, stress, uh, trauma recall, or, or startle. And um, the somatic and other arousal symptoms result from these triggers. These somatic symptoms and arousal symptoms may then give rise to trauma recall and or catastrophic cognition, meaning, you know, um, I have chronic pain, I must have something more that has not yet been diagnosed. Um, my health is in, in good condition, there's something bigger and more catastrophic underlying what I'm, an ex what I'm experiencing, which can also lead, uh, lead clients to not be mobile because of the catastrophic conditions. Trauma recall and uh, catastrophic cognitions then exacerbates arousal. And that arousal increases somatic and other arousal symptoms. Here, the feedback loop shown with this um, line here and increases and induces triggers of somatic and other symptoms of arousal. For example, such triggers as worry, 
negative emotions, startle, and anger again. What, um, in this slide, um, what are mental health effects of trauma for those of us who have worked with um, in the mental health field? What are some of the symptoms that um, pop out for you in terms of the mental health effects of trauma? So maybe just even thinking about an ideal therapy session right? and, and a client um, coming in with a lot of insights, what might they share as symptoms of, um, uh, or, or effects of trauma? Anxiety and hypervigilance was shared in the chat. Feeling depressed. So if we're thinking about an ideal therapy session with a client who has a lot of insight in terms of mental health symptoms, internalized racism, which is basically believing negative messages about people of color or even their own ethnic group and decreased self-worth. Self-blame, shame, guilt. Pessimistic and hopeless about change. Um, very um, focused on negative thinking feeling stuck, anger, the, the hardship with working with API sometimes is it might not be as clear um, regarding the symptoms um, that they're reporting um, in terms of mental health effects of trauma or what they're struggling with because it might be more focused on somatic symptoms as we discuss. So sometimes we might find ourselves wondering you know, if the client needs medical necessity. In some AAPI ethic groups, shame and embarrassment um, is frowned upon and strength is valued. Thus individuals might not admit to internalize racism or emotional distress due to an expectation to keep the mind balanced and calm. Evident in a lot of research on intergenerational impact of trauma, um, this has been shown in several studies. So the question is, how do we find out and pinpoint these symptoms without increasing stigma? Well, we know based on our discussion, um, mental health symptoms can manifest in physical, um, in physical ways and can have a mental effect on our bodies. So it might be worthwhile to have a discussion about emotions. Um, I'm sorry, having a discussion about emotions could make patients feel too exposed um, and vulnerable. Alternative, alternatively, focusing on bodily symptoms and symptom release may help increase a patient's collaboration. So if a client or a patient comes in and shares that they're in so much bodily pain, uh, using that language um, to say, yeah, I hear you have a lot of body pain and you're experiencing chronic pain at a level of nine, that, uh, that seems 
pretty excruciating. Um, and I think across many different cultures, not just AAPIs, mental illness has a negative connotation. And um, for in the Cambodian population specifically, the, the actual term mental illness um, can be seen um, has a has a meaning of crazy. So in terms of mental effects on our bodies, as we've discussed, it can have an effect in terms of higher blood pressure. And our cortisol levels, increased heart rate, decrease immune function. And uh, so it's important not to overlook the effects that mental health has on our bodies. As mentioned, chronic body pain can also um, put us at risk for heart disease. And somatic expressions of headaches, heart palpitations, dizziness, um, confusion, and also difficulties concentrating. In looking at this list, it's important that we don't make the error of referring our clients to see a physical health provider because the reports that they're sharing are mainly physical complaints. That as um, a culturally informed provider, we need to look underneath the um, physical symptoms to see how it um, is linked to mental health. So the pieces of the puzzles don't always fit. Um, in looking at DSM-5 uh, in, in graduate school, we were taught and trained to really look at um, symptoms and pinpoint the symptoms so that our clients meet a specific diagnosis to meet medical necessity. But because folks may be reluctant to divulge and process emotional stressors or identify symptoms such as feeling sad or losing motivation, it's likely that on paper they might not meet medical necessity especially if we go down a checklist of a yes or no um, checklist, we might overlook symptoms that are not clearly presented. For example, as we've discussed, um, because AAPIs value strength and resilience, uh, when we assess for functional impairment, a client might report, yes, I work hard each day. Um, so in terms of educational, um, uh, educational or employment um, impairment, we don't see that as evident. But if we don't look deeper underneath the lines, we might not see that a client worked hard each day because of family obligations, but may actually have no positive outlook on their life and future and that they are experiencing internalized racism in the case of um, the 
third generation Japanese Americans, as we discussed. Also, um, in looking at the documentation time to support um, extended time when working with clients from um, a PI background, uh, whether using a interpreter or another staff member is, doing, is providing the interpretation, having to switch languages um, and terms in mental health and um, the mental health field doesn't always translate directly into uh, different um, AAPI language meaning that we need to spend more time to explain mental health concepts. And um, that is so much needed in order for our clients to understand and um, find connection uh, with mental health. We also need that to build rapport. Um, and, and building rapport is extremely important. Without it, uh, it is very unlikely that um, clients will share specifically what brings them into treatment. And learning how to ask questions to complete a culturally um, informed interview assessment, which is not um, adequately present in the DMH standard assessment. I think there's only um, three or four at most questions that ask about culture, which is very brief. Um, we also need to consider, um, as we talked about, the time it takes to provide therapy in a different language. And um, the time that it takes for bilingual staff to which languages to document accurately. So in this slide, looking at the diversity again within the AAPI population, uh, we talked about the um, ceremonies and um, blessing ceremonies and uh, different cultural practices, spiritual traditions. Um, you also see um, a native Hawaiian, really connected to land, to the ocean, um, temples, shrines, and different um, vibrant colors in terms of um, traditional gear. So there are profound differences in culture based on historical background, experiences, whether a client is US born or not, their immigration experiences, level of acculturation and assimilation. In um, the next slide, uh, we'll examine a um, experience based on um, a refugee's experience and the impact of trauma. So when actually my best friend and I were um, both in Hawaii at the same time, um, this, last, this past last year, we found ourselves texting each other, um, trying to understand and make sense of our moms. And our mom's response uh, was aligned to the multiplex model of trauma-related disorder, 
processes experiences is a bit delayed and in stages. First stage is sensory overload that triggers anxiety and fight or flight. She starts to realize it's nice, fun, relaxed a bit, but still anxious. Then her worry starts again. She asks to leave. And when she's back home, she starts reminiscing about how she misses the vacation. So um, the initial triggers of somatic sensations, you know, feeling the uh, sensory overload, followed by somatic symptoms and catastrophic cognition. When I'm um, feeling uh, triggers of anxiety, so experiencing maybe some dizziness, some pain, um, telling her that she's um, not safe, and then um, that in turn activates the uh, threat system. On our next slide, um, this is um, this is based on the refugee experience as well, and in particular, uh, the Cambodian response to um, trauma and uh, what they describe as a dizziness attack, which is called kachal zap, right? So in looking at the arrows represent the flow of kachal, which is air and blood upward in the body during a kachal attack. Right? So during the healthy state, kachal and blood flow downward, which is in the opposite direction of the arrows with kachal um, exiting the body through the hands and feet, through bodily pores and down through the gastrointestinal tract. But during a kachal attack, kachal and blood surge upward in the body to cause the disasters outlined here. So as you can see, the blood surge upward from the legs, causing an increase and uh, blood, the feet and legs, you know, sometimes clients report, um, my feet and legs feel cold. Uh, and as the arrows go upwards, it's causing more of a surge. And then kachal emerges on its own from the stomach to the chest, making it uh, difficult to breathe and uh, shortness of breath pressing upwards on the lungs and kachal and blood towards the neck vessels causing soreness. And um, this is when the client starts to feel that dizziness um, and the surge and the pressure. Um, some clients may also report blurry vision and, and possibly um, not seeing clear um, with, uh, with air exiting through the eyes. So again, through a healthy state, the, um, the air will flow downwards and exit through the hands, the pores, and the bodies. But this is creating an upward surge. So the goal is when working with our AAPI clients really is to decrease the aspect of distress by addressing somatic sensations. 
Mindfulness-based interventions are an important element of psychotherapeutic work with patients um, suffering from co-occurring disorders, um, especially comorbid um, mental and, and physical health um, concerns. So based on the multiplex model of distress that we covered, lack of emotional regulation is really what drives somatic symptoms. And strategies that focus on regulation such as mindfulness and compassion-based interventions can really help our clients increase uh, emotional regulation and psychological flexibility. And we can accomplish these goals by learning to engage in our engage with our clients um, in conversations in a very natural and authentic way, not asking formulated questions or going down a checklist of yes or no responses. Um, basically, there, there's not a manual of racial identities to include all the intersections, let alone including all the different 50 distinct ethnic groups. Engage uh, with culturally informed approach with our clients by taking a stance of informed curiosity to ask different questions and ask questions differently and respectfully. And by respectfully asking curious questions to understand our clients' experiences and the impact it plays on their mental health and journey towards health and healing. And as um, mentioned earlier, um, we don't have to be historians in this field. Uh, we have the luxury of asking our clients questions, learning from them, letting our clients be the experts. Again, it's just as important that we continue uh, learning outside of therapy by doing our own uh, reading and, and research so that we have some cultural knowledge and competence when working with our clients. On this slide, this is my two and a half year old daughter. On the left, she was probably about two or one and a half. And you can see on her face that she's very curious, very curious, trying to understand the world. Um, this was our first time that we went to um, the snow. So she's seeing snow for the first time and just trying to make sense of it all. On their right side, she's a little bit older, about two and a half. Um, and up to today, my uh, two and a half year, year old favorite word is why. So essentially what we've discussed to this point focuses on understanding our client's point of view to help our clients find meaning, purpose, and really to understand their why. Um, so my daughter's favorite word is why. It even trumps the word no. And I, I don't know how that is possible because with my uh, two older kids, their favorite word was no for a very long time. So when I ask my daughter to do something or not to do something, she immediately asks why, followed by multiple layers of why. She will agree to only do a particular thing without protesting if she understands the why. So for example, this is how things look like. Um, 
If you take a nap, you'll have energy. Why, mom? If you have energy, you won't be moody. Why? You'll have the energy, won't be moody, and can play at the park. She hesitates for a little bit, but then realizes how much fun she has at the park and finally agrees uh, to, to take a nap. So our goal essentially is to help our clients reach this very exact aha moment and understand their why. So for example, some of our clients might be asking, why am I feeling so much pain? But there's no evidence to support a chronic disease. Or why is it that I'm not feeling balanced? Uh, the answers that we give them uh, doesn't always hold as much value unless it aligns with the client's own understanding and their light bulb. So similarly, when keeping our clients um, engaged in therapy, we want to set positive outcomes so that we can help um, our clients reduce the number of no-shows by helping our clients understand how mental health services can help with finding ways to reduce their concerns, headaches, dizziness, maybe even improve sleep. So in this slide, um, we're coming to an end of the training. Uh, reflect on what you've learned so far and what have you learned about culture and, and maybe um, it's just a refresher for you uh, regarding the importance of making sure that culture um, is at the forefront when providing assessments or engaging with your clients and how uh, individual communities respond to trauma. And how can you use the information you learn today to mitigate harm and minimize trauma? If you want to uh, enter your responses in the chat box, I'll give it a few moments for responses to come through. Uh, share to be more willing to explore the somatic symptoms clients report. Thank you, shared. Learning the importance of framing culture with history of clients, especially thinking of the generational impact of clients whose parents may have had experiences they didn't process, et cetera. It ignited my own curiosity to further learn about history of various AAPI countries to better understand and explore at the client's pace. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, it takes time for clients to buy into mental health treatment and understand the why. Avoid difficult, avoid quote-unquote difficult client label if we spend time to understand meaning making from the client's point of view. I believe that's what you uh, mentioned in the chat box. In summary, there is definitely not a one-size-fit-all approach. As I mentioned, there's not a manual for all the different ethnic groups within the AAPI umbrella. And uh, really, to sum up, uh, culture matters. It's very fundamental. Culturally informed approach is critical to and include cultural factors to help our clients heal. 
By engaging with culturally informed approach, we take a stance of informed curiosity to ask questions um, and then ask questions again differently to learn from our clients and tailor interventions based on their culture and understanding of mental health symptoms, expectations, and beliefs. Since culture constantly evolves, uh, we too must learn to tailor our approach in order to be culturally humble when working with clients from um, specifically from the AAPI background or from other uh, different ethnicities. And these are references. Thank you so much for being present with me today and attending. Um, and um, also, there, this is part one of active care and intervention. Um, I also will be giving the following presentation on February 3rd, which is part two. Um, it will have more uh, videos and specific examples of different cultural healing practices and how they are incorporated into treatment.